Hello, and welcome to the Outlier Podcast, the podcast for everyone who is interested in building better homes. My name is Anthony, and I am the founder and lead designer of Outlier, and I'm passionate about creating beautiful and high-performing homes. I sit down regularly to chat with industry experts to help educate Australians about the potential of creating healthy, comfortable, and energy-efficient homes. Whether you are looking to build your forever home, renovate your existing house, or simply eager to learn more, tune in every month wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you join us on this journey. I have been very fortunate with the journey of this podcast to chat with many experts and knowledgeable people. As new people come to the podcast every week, we want to take all the highlights and helpful information from previous discussions to provide them to you to assist you with your own high performance home journey. Are they saying at, uh, at office level, let's call it, <laughs> what kind of level? Like, yes, we believe in this, we want to do better, but boots on the ground, same thing is going to keep happening. Yeah, I think, uh, look, they're. Their reliance on trades and subbies was mixed. So, oh. you know, some of them, they were like, it's our job. We show them what to do. We tell them how to do it. We pay them. So they'll oh. do it. <laughs> and some of them were like, it's an uphill battle. Every time you try and get them to do something different, it's like, you yeah. know, really hard work. And that was a few years ago. I feel like a lot has changed in the industry since I did most of those interviews. You know, mm-hmm. everything has become more... Um, you know, you'll notice stuff pop up in the mainstream media and yeah. um, NCC is coming online and, uh, you know, Green Building Council's tool has come out. Like there's a bit more conversation that's happening now around it. Did any of them have any comment around like what they think is happening during construction, whether they are meeting the requirements of a, a NATO's assessment? I think some of them thought um, their attitude wasn't wasn't that hard and some of their like, you know, some of the training from the expert as-built verification guys was going a little bit too far. They were like, we can get 90% there with some really simple, easy instructions and not have to worry about the tiny little crevices. And the. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there was a bit of a question around um, some of them seeing it as just, you know, if you have pride in your work and you just follow good quality construction, you can get pretty, pretty well there for like good, you know, I don't know, air tightness. And yeah, and I think some of them were just like, oh, you know, a bit more resistant to not not resistant to change but just like oh it's going to be hard to get everybody to do something Mm. different (laughs) i i I think i do want to share also that um there are so many different types of operations and models here there are certain companies who are um, privately held and not franchised who are doing huge amounts of volume but then there are also different models there it is independently independently franchised under one banner and Mm. that means that you know that particular franchisee may have their own contractors and then that's different to the franchisee over here who is, you know, got their own set of contractors. Like this one over here could be doing amazing work because they've got a great um, group of Mm. contractors and trades under their belts and this one over here is struggling because they haven't. Some of the bigger firms were aware of the limitations that that, just the sheer scale of their operations posed, um, that there might be some really... um, interested individuals or pushing certain programs or, or, or house projects, but that can kind of get lost in the bigger. Yeah. There was, a, you know, the term big ship got dropped a few times, like, you know, it's a really hard thing to turn around and it's like that's true when you've got like huge departments and huge teams and hundreds of display homes and hundreds of, you know, thousands of staff, it's like that's a hard thing to sort of get everyone on board whereas mm-hmm. some of the smaller 
yeah, like there was a franchise example and a smaller um, local builder and they could really do some things with their teams because everyone was kind of on board together and they were learning together and it felt quite different to what probably some of the huge um, big multi-state yes. <laughs> thousands <laughs> of staff organisations mm. can can reasonably do. And Erica, just to be clear, your research took place in Victoria, so it's Victoria specific? Yeah, so um, yes, it was sort of Victorian based, but a lot of those organisations by default operate outside of Victoria. Yep. So it was it's it's trying to look at volume building in Australia, but yes, it definitely had a Victoria centric kind of focus so that I could get access to interviewing people and Yeah. We've spoken a lot about, I guess, just building in general and new builds, but I don't think we've touched on renovations. Is there anything that we should be aware of like in, in your research to do with renovations? And You know, working with clients who do um, little inner city renovations or infill projects or something, that's a really different uh, set of circumstances to having a nice new suburban block with good passive <laughs> design yeah. opportunity. Um there's a little house that I've used a few times at conferences just to sort of float my boat on this on this topic of just the challenges that some projects will face. In this example, um, you know, the street front faces north. Mm. It, they were really limited in what they could do mm. and they would, you know, it was all well built. It was, you know, great double glazing, good insulation and everything. They introduced a little courtyard to try and bring some northern light into the living spaces Um but from an energy rating perspective, you know, that's less efficient than a box. I can just, yeah, I'm just curious to see how it will play out in terms of um, how well the regulations or the, I guess, the discretion within that for, for renovation projects will accommodate the constraints around the mm. site and, mm. and not just say, well, you've, you, you haven't done mm. great passive design. It's mm. like, what, what can you do in some of those instances? Mm. Right, like so. There's yeah, there will be more discretion from the surveyor on this. I imagine the building reg two three three is still going to be applicable. Uh, essentially, it, it allows uh, the building surveyor to have partial or full discretion um, on how much of the energy efficiency standards can be incorporated into renovations and alterations. Now, I'm pretty sure the first line item though is cost. So, mm. is this, how is this going to work? Are they, are they? Is this is this what we're discussing now? I suppose I'm asking for clarity. I suppose of what yeah what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, it's cost and I, I mean, even the discretion element is is interesting because that's another group that I have real empathy for. I think there's a mixed bag of confidence and knowledge about energy efficiency compared to everything else that was in the construction code prior. It's like, you know, they do checks on structure and balustrades and stair heights and things and that's different from like coming in and checking all the bits and pieces of an energy rating. There's pros and cons to the way we've been doing it so far with that the practice node and the two different ratings and a formula and things like that. Um, I think there's limits to that too, though, like that, that house I example. Um, I was ask you to go back and explain the two different Ooh, yes. assessments. Yeah, so mm. typical way of um, demonstrating compliance for a major renovation project um, would be to do an energy rating of the original house as it stands before it gets any work done and then a rating of the proposed um, whole design. Um, so whatever that renovation or extension or um, changes might be. Um, and it gets plugged into a formula that basically gives you at the moment a fraction of six stars that the house has to achieve, depending on how much is new, how much is existing and staying untouched. So it looks at, it looks at volume and extent of, of new versus existing, um, but it doesn't know that you've got a 
heritage house with a veranda that can't change or mm-hmm. um, two-storey neighbours to your north that you can't design around. It kind of still doesn't accommodate some of those issues that I think development exist in existing areas faces. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a sort of good, I want to say good first attempt. It's probably not their first attempt, but it was a good idea, but I think there's still not. And so that, that whole idea of discretion with the surveyors, it's, that's challenging. If you come to them and you say, this is the normal method for compliance, we don't comply, but here's all these reasons. It goes into that expert judgment territory and kind of just trust me. And I, you know, that's open to exploitation, but also sometimes difficult to negotiate even on good valid grounds but just because it's not clearly spelt out for someone to, to tick the box the same way that a new house meeting six or seven star mm. star would so have you had any thoughts towards where you do think this will end up i don't know i mean i'm yeah. i'm so keen to i don't wanna, i don't want to preempt it i don't yeah. know <laughs> i'm curious to see whether they do um a new version of that formula or a new version of that practice note that just accommodates um goes up to seven instead of six mm. i don't know if that's what's going to be required most of my clients and, and their architects or designers really care about it and some of them still have trouble. So it's not like they they aren't trying hard enough or they're just dismissing my advice. Um, those little tight inner city blocks are really hard and I think either if it's a new build that's literally going in between existing dwellings or it's in the renovation category, those projects are going to face similar challenges in terms of just yep. they can't do classic passive solar, they've got... You know, a lot that's of other where constraints. I think air tightness is really going to come into effect. Mm. Um, with that in mind, you know, I'm I'm seeing some pretty significant results using, like, given it's non-regulatory mode. So I'm sure there's a lot of assumptions built into the back end of the um, Chenith engine um, algorithms. But yeah, we've seen anything from 0.6 to 1.2. Yeah. Wow. Air tightness factors, which um, yeah, is significant. Yeah. The other thing I wish is that somewhere we would stop talking about um, energy per square metre and just literally talk about energy of the dwelling and that gets into like slightly controversial territory about house size and things but um, uh-huh. a lot of those little inner city projects are not that huge. You can have a seven-star house that's 500 square metres in the outer suburbs if you want and this little tiny house that's, you know, 100 square metres mm. jammed in between its neighbours in, in the inner city is having a hard time getting the energy rating, but it's less materials, less overall energy mm-hmm. for heating, cooling, lighting, everything else. Yeah, so, so, so many other positives. I think that's a, you know, yep. we're a bit scared to talk about house size in this mm. country. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no one wants to tell anyone they, they don't deserve <laughs> that big house. But, um, yeah, I think it's a real, I think it's a real, if we care about overall emissions and overall um impact of energy efficiency, then we've got to eventually talk about it. Well, it's going to be a very... Big topic very soon, like whole of home assessment. Mm. It's a, I think it's. I personally think it's a real. It's going to be such a valuable design tool um, mm. early on in the piece mm. too. So mm-hmm. um, that's something I'll always share as well. Like I, I can see um, consultants, designers, builders all working together way earlier in the in the process mm. than have ever before. Mm. To, otherwise, yeah, that that typical checkbox compliance assessment for an energy rating or a thermal assessment. I think those days are done, especially in our climate zones anyway. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, cross your fingers. Like that's maybe that's the advantage of having 10 plus years to like get to this point. It's like you guys have had this experience with energy ratings. You know it's better if you do it at the start. So let's like keep doing it at the start. (laughs) Talk about it early with your whole team and Mm. figure it out. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, And I mean another caveat is, yes, 
this is all very climate dependent. <laughs> so that's yeah. true, and we're very Victorian, you know, <laughs> experience from our from our background. But thank you for listening to the Outlier podcast. You can find helpful links and contact information regarding this episode in our show notes and on our website, outlierstudio.com.au forward slash podcast. If you like our show, please leave a review and make sure you subscribe to never miss a new episode. If you have further questions for us or would want to share some additional feedback, please feel free to DM us on Instagram or Facebook. Until next time on the Outlier Podcast.